If you're a climber, you're basically a superhero. I mean, you're walking up walls. Your fingers can hoist your body up on tiny edges. You're getting upside down. You're swinging through the sky. And what do superheroes need most of all? Capes? No. A cool car? No. An exceptionally long and drawn out storyline in which their likeness and brand is repurposed over and over again for the monetary gain of large corporations? Well, okay, also no. What they really need is a theme song. But your theme song has to fit you, right? It has to make sense. So to help you find your theme song and learn a little bit about the way you personally train for climbing, I made you a quiz. So if you're ready to find your theme song, head on over to the show notes and take the quiz right now. Are you currently locked out of your house? Well, Gnarly Nutrition can't help you with that but they can help you get the most out of your athletic endeavors by providing you with high quality and tasty sports nutrition products. As someone who likes to do a lot of moving, having gnarly supplements to back me up is a pretty huge deal. When I'm eight days on and I'm trying to train for climbing after ski touring, gnarly products like their pre-workout and creatine give me a little extra boost to keep me doing a reckless amount of physical activity. Gnarly is a proud sponsor of the Average Climber podcast. You can check out the wide range of Gnarly products over at gonarly.com. In this episode, we're going to blow your mind while we teach you how not to blow out your pulleys. That's right, we're digging even deeper into the wild, wild world of hangboarding. We'll be discussing the protocols I like to use with my athletes, how to progress your hangboard sessions, and make sure to listen to the end for answers to the listener questions that you submitted. Get ready to dive in. You're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. got a really interesting fact for you that I think you're going to love today. I'm so excited. Start my day with a fun fact. Let's go. Well, we're diving into osmosis. Ooh, okay. Oh, you got a real, this is like a real nerd fact. This is like actually helpful. Okay, go on, go on. Tell me. I don't know if it's helpful as, I mean, you can, you can infer from it and I don't know how many chem, well, in a chemical engineering degree Dude. I imagine you took osmotic a lot of- pressure motherfucker <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the like I'm very very certain that it was always represented by the pi signs the vision I'm getting um any current engineers that actually do anything mm. please feel free to add us just know, actually <laughs> but anyways okay anyways okay so here's here's the blanket fact I'm gonna put out there and then we can discuss if you put this is about fish by the way so we're taking a real deep dive uh Ooh. If you put a saltwater fish into fresh water, it will bloat and die. And alternatively, if you put a freshwater fish into salt water, it will shrivel up and die. Oh, well, that is 
I mean, it makes <laughs> sense. Do you want to elaborate? I think I get it. But for those who aren't woke to osmotic pressure here uh, that are listening to this. <laughs> so now you have to explain because you brought this up. So, <laughs> so it has to do with the uh, saturation of either the, the fish or water, the tonic solution of the environment. I'll just basically say the water goes where the salt is. So if you yeah. put a saltwater Salt's- fish in fresh water, the fresh water, water goes, goes the it goes where the salt is in the saltwater fish, and it eventually it sells bloat and it dies. But if you put a freshwater fish in salt water, the salt well, if the fresh water goes where the salt is, so then the cells shrivel up. And the fish eventually dies. So do you know where this, this might happen, Lauren? Uh, at river deltas? <laughs> In brackish waters, yep. <laughs> oh, okay. What's a, wait, what's a brackish water? It's kind of where, like, the, where, you like, know. Where the things mix? Well, think, yeah, yeah. So, like, think about salmon migration. And if. Mm. <laughs> salmon. Go if on. it If you have salmon, because eventually salmon will go from fresh water to salt water. I don't know the real biological yeah. nature of salmon, but that's that's the example. I stole this fact from my husband and you know what? I just it really sent me down a rabbit hole because I struggled with osmolality in biochem <laughs> more than I'd like to admit and um yeah, my sports nutrition class, we talked about this a lot and I was like, "Oh no, tonic solutions, here we go." Oh, but Oh shit. So anyhow, okay. that's that's our start for the day. Good morning. Wake up if you aren't already. If it's the evening and you're tired, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Wait, okay. I'm sorry, but all right. This brings me to another important fact, which is bull sharks. And also, when you're listening to this, it is July. And unless I am wrong or that Shark Week doesn't exist anymore, I believe Shark Week is in July. So welcome it to is. Shark Week on the Average Climber Podcast. <laughs> and now we have a shark fact. We'll get to the hangboarding, I promise, but we need to talk about bull sharks. So bull sharks are sometimes found up in the, they like swim, you know, from the ocean up rivers and stuff. And they've been found in the Mississippi. Okay, so I have Googled, what is the farthest inland a bull shark has been found? Alton, Alton, Illinois. It sits along the Mississippi River, 15 miles north of St. Louis. That is a Midwestern shark right there. I don't. It was. I. It was looking for the gateway to the west, but wow. no. Wow, that's yeah. So riddle me that, Caitlin. The bull shark didn't explode. I don't know how sharks work. It might be different for them. They might but... just have different, well, different biology. I mean, yeah. I don't even yeah. know. Like salmon migration. I can't. I think they start out in salt water yeah. and fresh. I don't know. I, I don't know. We should up, stop but... talking about this. Isn't a nature podcast. We don't <laughs> know anything. I do know that the the base fact is true, but the rest, well, yeah. Leave Osmosis. It up to Caitlin and I could talk about that. But that's sharks, that's where it ends. Not sharks much. and fish. Sorry for all you marine biologists. Well, anyway, yeah. Let's get Sorry. going. I am Caitlin Holmes. I am a certified <laughs> nutrition specialist, and I work with climbers and other athletes as well on their personalized nutrition. Lauren, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Good. Good. Hello. <laughs> Hello, sports fans. I'm Lauren, and I am a certified personal trainer, 
certified kettlebell coach, and I coach rock climbers. Who we're certified. We're certified. Average. To talk about <laughs> sports and not sharks. So without further ado, today we are going to be talking all about hangboarding again, but this is part two. So today we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into the programming side of things and get to some of your well-asked questions that you submitted over on the Instagram. So that's what we'll be doing today. I'm really excited. Caitlin, where do you think we should start? Well, so last time we talked a lot about kind of like why in the world we would want to hang board and who it's for, who can benefit. But like you said, Lauren, I think getting into the the nitty-gritty of it, more of the the granular training type of stuff could be a good good place for us to start. So something that I'm wondering too is building adaptations. We talk about that a lot in regular training. So how how can we, you know, start to build those adaptations on a hangboard and what can you actually train? Yeah, that is a really great question. Um and before I get into it, if you haven't already, as another reminder, make sure you go back and listen to the snack break right before this episode. And then you're also going to want to make sure you've listened to part one. So both of those are important and prerequisites to digging into this discussion. But this is Hangboard 201. You can't join unless you (laughs) listen to 101 and 105. The sound. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a radio station by your parents' house. It's a radio station somewhere. Okay, anyways, back to what we're doing. So, yes, let's talk about which adaptations you can actually build on a hangboard, what those adaptations are, and what it looks like to build them up. And there's three main ones that I'm going to want to highlight. You can get a little weird and work on, like, pure low-end endurance on a hangboard, but I don't really want to talk about that because that involves, like, taking weight off and doing a bunch of weird, boring stuff, um, and it's just kind of a strange application that we're not going to get into. So today we're going to talk about building strength endurance on a hangboard, building maximal strength on a hangboard, and building power on a hangboard. So I'm going to, Caitlin, if you don't mind, I'm going to run through just sort of what all of those are, and we will, and then we'll we'll roll from there. So I don't mind. Please I don't continue. Mind. Tell <laughs> me everything. Let me digest this. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And if you have any questions, just jump in. You are, you are the voice of the people today and always. <laughs> people I bring you your questions well you know you get it like when I'm like okay but I don't I'm not a nutritionist I have my normal person question and then you know vice versa it's the way this is how this podcast works some normie yes okay so in any case let's kick it off with strength endurance and you might be like that's a combination of two different adaptations I'm confused um okay so strength endurance to put it simply it's kind of being able to do relatively strong things. So things that are close to your max or, you know, they're sub-maximal, and I'll go ahead and put a number on it, let's say 40 to 60% of your max, and doing those repeatedly. So if you've ever taken a group fitness class where you're doing sets of, you know, 12 to 20 reps, you're taking minimal rest, and you're using a relatively light weight, that's sort of that strength endurance side of the equation. Strength endurance is typically, you know, hypertrophy is the process of muscle building. So strength endurance type work, whether you're doing it on a hangboard or you're doing with your general lifting, 
that's typically associated with muscle building and hypertrophy. There is muscle building throughout the whole spectrum of strength, endurance, maximal strength, and power, but that's usually what you're going to see. So that's the process of building muscle. And yes, we have muscles in our fingers. So we do, we do build up those muscles, right? Now, when it comes your finger (laughs) biceps, yes, technical term. So (laughs) when it comes to training strength endurance on the hangboard, that's going to look like that high volume, lower intensity type work using things like our repeater or in Dr. Ava Lopez research papers, you're going to hear her refer to them as intermittent hangs. But that's things like seven seconds on, three seconds off, five seconds on, 10 seconds off. 10 seconds on, five seconds off, right? It's all these things where you're going to do multiple sets, you're going to do a higher volume of hanging, and you're going to be at a lower percent of your max. And also, quick PSA, while the, you know, exact duration is important, and it's important to be consistent when it comes to choosing your repeater, or choosing your total duration, and we'll dig into this a little bit later, In the grand scheme of things, until you have a very high training age and you need a large amount of complexity with your training, the difference between doing a seven second on three second repeater and a seven second on five or 10 second repeater, in my mind, is not that big. You kind of need to pick something and go with it. Not that it doesn't matter, but don't get too hung up on the details. Pick a protocol that you like and that works, right? And I'm going to give you a lot more tools to picking a protocol that makes sense for you and all of that later on in the episode. But that's strength endurance. Caitlin, any questions about strength endurance? Makes sense? I, it makes sense. One question I have that I'm sure others might be thinking, or maybe I'm just the one who's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you mentioned yep. that it's hypertrophy or as you say it, hyper, hypertrophy, hypertrophy. Technical. <laughs> um, it's, it's, so that's building muscle and the goal there is to build muscle versus your strength output. Can you kind of explain the difference or what that, Ooh, like okay. in which situation? Yeah. You know what I'm asking? I don't yep. know, but you I got, got it. it. <laughs> yep. Okay, cool. And let me add another kind of like layer to this as well. So strength, endurance, and capacity. So capacity would be the amount of work capacity that you have Mm -hmm. for hanging. So this would kind of be doing a larger amount of training volume. So strength, endurance, and capacity are associated with each other in that. Also, you could do more capacity type hanging where maybe you'd hang for like 15 or 20 total seconds on a larger edge. But net, net, the strength, endurance, like capacity side of things is a larger base of an easier intensity, essentially. Now, let me, Caitlin, to answer your question, let me go ahead, ahead and explain maximal strength and mm-hmm. then i think that might illuminate okay. some things for you cool Sounds so great <laughs> max strength is going to be that max force you can exert in a short amount of time and if you go back and listen to our snack break where we give a little high level overview of energy systems that maximal strength adaptation is going to be sort of in that like 12 or 15 seconds or less sort of time frame. And probably you're going to aim towards more like the 10 seconds or less end of things with your training. But that's how much force can we exert, you know, maximally, if you will. But with this, (laughs) sorry, that's not whatever. But in any case, maximal max. Yeah, I know. I'm like using the word in the definition. LOL. Excellent work, me. But this is going to be, you're going to be more at like 70 to like 90, 95% of your max for this type of work. And this is going to look more like doing 
shorter hanging durations so this will look more like your max hangs like we talked about in the last episode where you're going to hang from you know five to ten seconds with a high load close to your max ish and then you will rest for a substantial amount of time so that you're fully recovered and able to do that next set so let's talk about it when it comes to climbing right because essentially you are going to there's a lot of different things going on in climbing, right? But with climbers and with hangboards, I really do like to sort of trend towards the max strength end of things with our hangboarding because when it comes to strength, endurance, and endurance, uh, it's such your endurance is so impacted by your skill level and a lot of different other factors. So typically with my athletes, I really prefer to like train max strength on a hangboard versus going towards like the strength endurance capacity type work, just because we're going to work on your like forearm endurance and your overall body endurance and your ability to climb a lot within your climbing sessions. So that's why typically with hangboarding, I focus on building up that maximal strength. So let me know if that answered your question. And if you have follow up, this is pretty important. And I think in the comment section, this is like the the thing people get confused about a lot. So I'm like more than happy to dig into this. So, so just real quick, is yeah. this essentially then capacity versus load or like effort work? I'm using a lot of the same words. <laughs> yes. No. Okay. So basically no matter how long you can climb like at an easy level. So let's say you can do tons and tons of volume at an mm-hmm. easy level. Just because you can do a ton of volume at an easy level, it doesn't mean that when you get on a climb that's a lot harder than that. If you don't have the strength to pull the crux moves or if you don't have the finger strength to pull the crux moves, it does not matter that you can climb at like an easy level forever if you do not have the maximal strength and power to pull that crux move, right? Yeah. Like, yep. Yep. So it's kind of like both things are valuable in climbing, right? You might have a long boulder problem where you need to be able to stay on the wall and, you know, have your finger strength endure for the whole boulder problem. But at the same time, you also need to be able to have that high end maximal strength and power to be able to do those hard moves. So it's not to say that one adaptation is more important than the other or better or whatever it is. It's just that they're different adaptations that you're going to want to address in your climbing. Because at the end of the day, climbing is a complicated sport in that we need to be able to have endurance, strength, and power. And we're likely going to be able to need to use all of them somewhat all the time. So all of these adaptations are important. But knowing what they are and how to train them and the difference in the way you would train one over the other is the important part. That makes and sense. And it sounds like your hangboard is a great way to do that, which is yeah. kind of amazing. <laughs> For being just a thing that hangs on your wall, it's pretty uh, pretty excellent. I guess pull-up bars are also a thing that can hang on your wall. But so true. with that, let's get into power. So power is that maximal strength, that max force with a time element added. So power is essentially how fast can we apply our maximal force. So one way that I really like to train these, and I will put a YouTube, I will put a link to one of my favorite YouTube videos of these. I also think I have my own video of it. There'll be a video of this in the show notes, but they're called velocity pulls. And basically what you're going to do, and you might do it on a very small edge, you might do it with some weight added. It's more about the rate at which you you know, snap onto the hangboard, or you could even pull down with just one hand. But essentially, your goal is to get to that max force output as absolutely quickly as possible. So you're going to be close to your max, but you're going to be trying to kind of like snap on the hangboard. And like I said, this makes a lot more sense when you watch it. So I would just say, 
go watch that. But that's kind of that, you know, last piece where it's like, okay, now that we have this like new max, maximal force we can pull, how can we apply that force faster? Because if you think about it in a climbing context, and this is kind of that like contact strength concept that we talk about a lot. If you think about it in a climbing context and you have to reach a small hold going at a high speed. So let's say you're dead pointing to a small hold. You want to be able to apply force to that hold as quickly as you possibly can. So that's why you could train, you know, this grip power or power on your hangboard as well. So you can also do this on a campus board too. This isn't like a full, we're not talking completely about, you know, power training in this podcast. Yeah, but it is a thing you can do on your hangboard in a variety of ways, but velocity pulls are one of my favorite ways to do that. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, I learned a lot just okay, <laughs> Look bye, at that. Goodbye. Good night. Okay, that was enough. That's too much learning for <laughs> now. Okay. <laughs> well, something I think maybe to dig into that a bit more in terms of what you might program, could you talk a little bit more about the relationship between strength and power? I know you talked about velocity, so I think this could be a good segue into the next bit. Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. Okay. So I would say when it comes to, so the relationship between force and velocity or max strength and power, if you will, is you can kind of find it on what's called the force velocity curve, but not going to try to explain a graph to you because I'm a super visual learner. So sometimes when I know I'm about to explain something like that would be better if you just looked at it, uh, then I get mad and I'm just like, this is a podcast. You can't see what I'm talking about. So I'll just post Josh again, write that down. We'll put the force velocity curve in the thing. We'll just link to it. I'm not making a special blog post. If you Google force velocity curve, you'll find this. But in any case, let me explain to you sort of what the force velocity curve is trying to convey by a tale of a 12 week training cycle. (laughs) So, all right, let's say you have an athlete who on their, on one arm, they can pull down on 20 millimeter edge. So to visualize this, pretend you're standing below a hangboard and you're putting your right hand onto a 20 millimeter edge and your feet are on the ground and you can pull down really hard on that edge. You can pull down very hard. Your feet probably won't lift your feet might lift off the ground. I don't know. You're very strong. But let's say your feet don't quite lift off the ground. You know, you are a hundred and you weigh 160 pounds, whatever it is. But when you pull down with that right hand, you pull down with 80 pounds of force. So we have a crane scale. So we take that measurement and I'm your coach in this example. And it takes you seven seconds to ramp up to being able to pull down with 80 pounds of force. So at like maybe three seconds, you're 40 pounds. And then once you're at seven seconds, you ramp up 80 pounds of force. So you're like, I would like to get to be able to have a higher max strength on my right hand. And I would also be like to be able to develop more power as well. So you train for 12 weeks, we get you stronger, all the things. So we go to retest this. And now when you pull down on that right hand, you pull down with 110 pounds of force and it takes you seven seconds to get up to 110. So that's an improvement because it used to take you seven seconds to get up to 180. Now it only takes you or to get up to 80 pounds. Now it only takes you four seconds to get up to 80 pounds versus seven, right? So you became, so because your max strength increased, and you can get to your max in seven seconds, you are also more powerful as well as stronger. Does that make sense as kind of an example of how that works? I, there are things that I wish I had asked you long, long ago (laughs) that I now know now. (laughs) 
There you have it, folks. Force, force, velocity, curve, bitch. So that's how that works. Um, but you can kind of see that there's a relationship between all these things. So yeah, training, power, and strength on a hangboard is typically where I like to hang out with my hangboard programming just because <laughs> you can train out. strength. <laughs> you can hang out. You can hang out with strength endurance. Else, Josh is giving us a thumbs down. Yeah. Well, Josh, all right. You knew it was Bad Joke City when you signed up to edit this podcast, and here you are. So, (laughs) okay. So, that's a quick overview of what you can train on a hangboard. I love that. It's so interesting to hear that there's honestly so much. I know that you've prescribed so many things for me over the last year and a half, however long we've worked together and understanding the context a bit more to be like, well, why is Lauren making me do this thing I think is, is helpful. So not to say that I've been angry at you behind the scenes, but I've also (laughs) kind of sat there scratching my head a little bit. Like what's the point? Mm, It's fine. (laughs) I've cursed your name when I'm eating breakfast and I don't feel like it. I'm like, Oh, I know I should do this, but I'm mad. And I'd rather just become weirdly starving by 1 PM and then do that instead. Not really, but and then be like, damn it, Caitlin was right. Caitlin was right. I feel insane. I should have eaten breakfast. So you live and learn. This is why we uh, (laughs) we blend us two. Well, (laughs) let's switch gears a little bit. Could you also tell us a little bit more about how you actually fit hangboarding into your week? Because I know some of us might train some other stuff. You know, we got a lot of others body parts to train and yeah. I think it's it's one of those things that if you don't currently do it it's kind of like uh when do I actually hangboard should I hangboard so what's what's your hot take on that okay yes so first of all you don't have to spend that much time hangboarding straight up does not need to take a lot of time and the way I like to program hangboarding I think it makes it even faster and more time saving since I know a lot of you are busy also not to keep hearkening back to hangboarding part one, but listen to hangboarding part one first to find out if you even need to be getting on a hangboard yet at all. So PSA. Okay, moving on. So basically my two favorite ways to fit hangboarding into your training week is as such. I like to slot it in the middle of a climbing session. And also this is assuming that you're doing a higher intensity, lower volume type protocol like max hangs. We're going to dig into, like I said, we're going to dig into the actual programming at all later, but this is where I like to slot it. So typically with my athletes where I'll put hangboarding is you'll have your normal climbing warmup where you'll just climb on, you'll climb on rock climbs, you'll show up to the gym, you'll progressively climb on harder rock climbs, maybe towards when you're getting on the hangboard, try to get on some crimpier stuff just to warm up those positions more specifically. Then go ahead and get on the hangboard and do your little bit of hanging. And usually if you're doing a higher, higher intensity, lower volume protocol, this is going to take like five to 10 minutes of your session. So let's say you're going to do four hangs with a one minute rest in between. So hang 10 seconds, rest for a minute. It's going to take you like, yeah, like I said, five to 10 minutes. So get your hangs done and then, you know, move on to the rest of your climbing session, whether that's, you're going to go try some harder boulders get on some harder roots, whatever that may be, but just make sure your fingers are nice and warmed up, do your hangs, and then finish with the more challenging part of your session. So that's one way that I like to do it. And a lot of people are like, I've tried this myself. So, cause some people will ask, well, why not just do it at the end? And yeah, if you want to do it at the end, that's fine. But I would encourage you to, to experiment with this because I've 
played with this myself and I've, you know, done my whole climbing session, done some hard climbing, and then hopped on the hangboard after. And it is remarkable how bad my numbers are. Like the actual climbing portion of the session is relatively unaffected by if I do my hangboarding in the middle or not. But my numbers suck shit if I do them after a session. Like it's bad. And I was like, that was it. I hated it. So I would say, you know, fit it where you can if it makes more sense with the way your gym set up to do it at the end or something. Um, I think that's fine. But I would say like, get your fingers warmed up, do your hanging and then do the rest of your climbing session. Like I just like it in the middle, but play with it. I wouldn't recommend you could do it at the front of your, like at the very top of your session, but I kind of think you're going to have to get your fingers warmed up anyway. And then if you do it at the very beginning, you're going to have to warm up on the hangboard instead of just rock climbing. And I think it's easier, faster, more pleasant to get warmed up for hangboarding by just climbing instead of doing like a weird progressive like hangboard warm-up but that's just my two cents on it Caitlin do you have experience with this at all like do you have a preference yeah because what's interesting is that sometimes when I don't really have time I might just throw in a little short finger training session and then that might be something that I have to actually warm up a bit more intensively on. So it's kind of like two hangboarding sessions in one. Yeah. So I agree. I think having it in the middle of at least something you're doing is probably more helpful. I know what you program for me is you kind of mix it in with other strength-based exercises too, which is super, for me, it's more engaging. Yeah. So that's another place that I love to slot hangboarding. So there's kind of two. I like the climbing session, hangboard sandwich, and then I like putting it in with athletes straight training. This can work if you have a gym set up where your hangboard is near, but if you like have to go to a separate gym versus your climbing gym, some of my athletes will just bring their flashboard or their portable hangboard to their regular old gym. But personally... I feel super nervous in, quote, normal gyms, which is objectively hilarious because I am, you know, a personal trainer and I should feel comfortable there. But like, I don't know. I lift in climbing gyms where it's basically the lifting area is empty, which is regretful because always be lifting. Um, But just kidding. You don't have to always be lifting. But in any case, yeah. So I don't let I wouldn't do that because I would feel like too socially awkward about stringing up a hangboard in the middle of a normal gym. But I already feel socially awkward in normal gyms. Plus normal gyms, they often ban chalk. Have you noticed that? Oh. So if you bring out a chalk bucket, they're like, um, excuse me, ma'am, can you not do that? Because it gets in the machinery. Oh, I had no idea. No, I also am too socially awkward. Like basically anything that would make me stand out anymore. Not that I think I stand out. I'm super normal looking (laughs) in any case. Like just very nondescript human being, frankly. But like, you know, I sunk. Yeah, I've not even been brave enough to bring a chalk bucket. But yeah, so you could do that if you are into that. But also you could just, you know, if your if the weights at your gym or something at your gym is close to the hangboard you can also kind of make I like making circuits so one of my favorite ways to do it is have like hang exercise exercise and then just do a couple of circuits that you know get your hanging done all those things this is also a concept coined by climb strong's coach head coach steve bechtel um so integrated strength is what that is basically integrated strength means integrating your strength training and your hangboarding together your kind of more typical resistance training but that's another place that I like to put it because I think you know if you're gonna have to rest for one to three minutes between your hangs that 
you might as well be getting some lifts done in between as well, just because it saves time and it makes stuff less boring. Yeah, you'll find a lot of the time the answers where you're like, I hope there's a really good scientific, well-researched answer to like why coaches have you do this. And a lot of times the answer is because it's easier and less annoying and you're more likely to do it if I program it that way. And if you're more likely to do it, then it'll get done and it'll make you better. <laughs> and it's not necessarily like perfect science. The science is we're just actually working with human behavior and getting you to, you know, be consistent with things. So. Yeah, but that's that's how I like to fit stuff in. And with that, like with those two things, if you have like one lifting session a week and or one or two climbing sessions, like you can easily get a couple of hangboard sessions done in a week. And frankly, for mo for a lot of people that I coach, I don't think unless it's a special circumstance, a lot of people can get really substantial hangboard gains done by just hanging consistently one to two times a week. I don't know that I have anyone on my roster right now and I have anywhere from like five ten athletes to like v9 plus athletes and i'm like yeah hangboarding twice a week is fine so at the moment is what i'm talking about but yeah i think it doesn't have to take up a lot of your life you can get a lot of finger strength gains without you know needing to spend a ton of time on the hangboard which is awesome i love talking about it it's so nice that something with something that doesn't require a lot of time can make so much of a difference it's it's the dream if you will so it's the perfect training tool for climbers <laughs> not saying we're lazy but <laughs> might be yep. what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> it's a sport that involves a lot of sitting in general <laughs> big sitting we're hanging. sport <laughs> we're hanging <laughs> yes uh well caitlin should we should we take a quick little break yeah, let's do it. Lauren, I've been trying to pick out a new hangboard and I just can't seem to decide. All these boards have so many edges and features and it's really hard to choose. It's honestly crazy out there. You know, lately I've been doing something a little different with my own hangboarding. I mean, my landlord doesn't love it, but I'm really having a good time. Oh, really? Do tell. So I've stopped using hangboards completely, and now I just train on my door frame. Your door frame? Yep, it's pretty revolutionary. And the best part is, I don't have to worry about whether or not to change edge sizes because there's only one. I do love that. I make way too many decisions all day. Deciding what edge to use on, a, on my hangboard is one decision too many. Yep. And there's no installation required because if you live in a building, there's gotta be a door frame somewhere. Cool, I'm so excited to end my hangboard search and just dangle from a door. Thanks, Lauren. Sure thing, anything in the name of simplicity, I love hanging from my door frame. Dangling on a door frame is done at the user's own risk. Not recommended for anyone to do under any circumstances ever. May decrease resale value of your home. May cause weird fingertip rash and undesirable roommate conflicts. The Average Climber podcast is not liable for any door frame related incidents to your health or well-being. Battery's not required. Well... Since door frame hangings probably not suggested, <laughs> despite how deliciously fun that would be, I thought we could spend some time actually talking about what what kind of programming that someone could actually do on 
a hangboard, something that you might recommend, Lauren, over 12 weeks just to get stronger fingers. I know I'm diving right in, but this is the juicy stuff that I think people want to know. So this is the juicy stuff. This is what (laughs) this is the moment you've been waiting for. Okay, so I'm going to lay out a few different hangboarding progressions. I'm going to do them over a 12 week period just so that you kind of have a grand vision of what's going on here. And these are all progressions that I use with my athletes all the time, all day, every day. This is this is the stuff. There is no secret sauce here at Good Spray. I'm telling you the secret <laughs> ingredients because hangboarding can be damn simple and I want you to understand that. So <laughs> let's dig in. And the way I'm going to talk about these, so there's three three progressions, three game plans, if you will, that I'm going to talk about. These are absolutely in no way exhaustive to the ways that you could program hangboarding, but I wanted to give you some examples of what I like and what I regularly use with my athletes. So we're going to go from simplest to most complicated in these. And if you haven't learned anything from this podcast yet, (laughs) somehow... (laughs) The big thing you're going to learn from me as a coach is that I always want to do the simplest thing first and exhaust your progress on the simple version before we make things more complicated. It's a smart way to operate as an athlete, and that's how I'm going to speak to you about these hangboard protocols. So, And if you (laughs) haven't listened to our Kiss Keep It Simple Stupid episode, which was episode one. Episode one, shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Great place to go back to the basics, but we're keeping it keeping it real here too. So Yeah. Always simple. We love simple. If it doesn't need to be hard and complicated and annoying, why would we make it that way? Okay. So all right, let's get into it. So first I'm gonna talk you through a max hangs progression or a max added weight progression. And in Dr. Ava Lopez research papers, she would call this a ma progression, but I'm going to probably say max. Ma, ma. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Next, moving Next. on. We got to go. Josh isn't here right now, so he's going to be, um, he'll, he'll have fun. Hi, Josh, when you're editing this. Uh, hopefully he okay. thinks we're as funny as we do, but. Uh, hopefully you think we're as funny as, I don't know, you wouldn't have made it to episode 14, whatever it is. 14. (laughs) 14. Okay. So this is just a max added weight progression. So this 12 week progression is going to be all about reducing volume in the duration of your hangs and adding more weight. So this is going from higher ish volume, still at a high intensity to higher intensity and less volume at the end. Now I'm going to sort of elaborate what I mean like that. And also, if you don't remember us talking about RPE, rate of perceived exertion in the last episode, you need to go back and listen to that because if you listen to this right now and you don't know what RPE is, your eyes are going to cross and you're going to be all confused. So listen to episode (laughs) one. All right. Now, now I'll get into it. So with this, I'm going to have you hanging twice a week doing three to six sets of hangs per session. So for example, one session is going to look like this. You're going to hang for 10 seconds, rest for about one to five minutes, repeat until you've done three to six total hangs. Now this is going to be at a high intensity and you're probably adding weight. I'm not going to talk about edge sizes here, but let's assume you're going to work with that 20 millimeter edge that we're always talking about. So Caitlin makes sense. Yes, folks. You heard that right. (laughs) Like 30 to 60 seconds of total hang time per session with some resting in between. Climber's most magical training tool. (laughs) It's not a lot. And also, if you want some hard data about 
if you can actually hang this little and see substantial results, like I said, check out episode 10 of Breaking Beta, where they break down the Dr. Ava Lopez research paper that compares max hangs to intermittent hangs. It's very interesting, but yes, the athletes in this program did very little hanging with very minimal total hang times and saw excellent results. And less I is more. Simil- less is more. I see similar results with my athletes. It is very dope. So that's what you're going to do twice a week. So for weeks one through four, we're going to start with you hanging for 10 seconds with like a, that one to five minute rest in between sets. And we're going to be aiming for an RPE of seven to eight. So that RPE is going to dictate how much weight you're adding and you're not going to failure. So with that RPE seven to eight, that means at the end of each of your hangs, so when you're done hanging for 10 seconds, you're going to come off the hangboard and say, wow, I feel like I could have hung for two or three more seconds after that. So you're not going to failure. There's that little margin at the end where you stop before you're failing. So that's weeks one through four. Now for weeks five through eight, you're like, cool, I did. I did my eight sessions of that. How can we ramp this up? And maybe gradually, you know, maybe you already started bumping up the weight a little bit to hit that RPE seven or eight as you got stronger. Weeks five through eight, you're going to drop down to a seven, seven second hang. So we're going a little bit less volume. So seven seconds hangs versus 10 second hangs. And you're going to be aiming for a solid RPE eight now. So now we're kind of more in the range of like, okay, one and a half, two seconds of margin at the end of each set. So you're probably going to be adding more weight in this block because one, you're only hanging for seven seconds now. And two, you're aiming for that RPE eight, maybe even getting up to RPE nine for that seven second hang. So still not going to failure, but it is at a higher intensity. Then weeks nine through 12, we're dropping, dropping it down again. So drop down to a five second hang with those rests. And now you're going to be aiming for an RPE of nine. So we're going really short, really intense. And this will be the heaviest hanging that you're doing throughout. Caitlin, makes sense. Yeah, Adds I up, mean, checks out. I can't believe you're giving this info away for free. So. <laughs> yeah, bit <laughs> a training plan. Sorry. <laughs> what? No, when's this being let? I will be having a sale on Crush It Sport Climbing and Bouldering and also my Hangboard and Strength program. Yeah. Is this imagine out, so. if Lauren's giving this away for free. Imagine what's in that. I mean, come on. Oh my gosh, imagine how nice it would be to have a book with all this written out in a really lovely format with a lot of videos. Wouldn't that be so freaking cool? So- Goodspreadclimbing.com forward slash store. Shameless plug. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> thanks, Caitlin. <laughs> Gotta have your friends hyping up your programs. This is yep. how we this That's is how we for. business. This is we are doing business. Okay. Tight. Now, all right. This is the I don't want to say this is this is the moment you've all been waiting for because a lot of you asked on Instagram. Is it better to hang with more weight or is it better to switch to a smaller edge? So let's talk about a different 12-week progression in which we switch from max added weight hangs, similar to what we just talked about, and we switch over to doing minimum edge depth minimum edge depth hangs. And in Dr. Lopez research papers, these this would be referred to as MED, minimum edge depths. So for the first six weeks of this 12-week block where we go from heavy hanging to minimum edge depth. Start with that 10 second hang with the one one to three minute rest in between sets and aiming for that RPE of seven to eight. And then maybe if you're like four weeks in and you want to switch down to that like seven second hang with a higher intensity, that's fine. But generally speaking, for six weeks, aim for that seven to 10 second hanging at an RPE of seven to eight ish. Maybe towards the end of the block, you can start creeping up to a nine. But you get what I'm saying. You're going to be progressively adding more weight, similar to what we just talked about in the previous progression. Now, in the second six weeks, 
we're going to switch it up. And instead of doing weighted hanging, you're going to find your minimum edge depth that you can hang for 10 seconds at an RPE of like eight to nine, right? So to change the intensity, instead of adding more weight, like we did in our previous example, we're going to switch the edge to something smaller. So what I would do is once you're making this switch over, I would just go to a hangboard with a lot of different edges and start testing things. So be like, okay, 15 millimeter edge. I can hang on that for 20 seconds. So maybe I need something smaller. Maybe if you're lucky enough to have a 12 at your disposal, you drop down to a 12 and you go, okay, on the 12, I can hang for like 13 to 15 seconds. Cool. I'll use this as my 10 second hanging edge. Because if you're hanging for 10 seconds on something that you can max out for like 13 seconds, there's kind of your RPE, RPE eight ish range makes sense. So you don't want to, again, we're not going to failure and you're going to be hanging on a small edge. So now to answer the big question, and maybe this answer will frustrate you, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it is what it is. So when deciding with an athlete, if we are going to drop down to a smaller edge or not, there's a few things that I typically take into consideration. What are their goals like? How long have we been going with just the adding weight method of things, right? So if we've been doing like, and also let me tell y'all, you can really stick with these higher intensity hangboard protocols for a darn long time. Like I personally been doing them for years and I haven't even dabbled into the higher volume repeater protocols. And with a lot of my athletes that have been training with me for over a year, like we're still finding gains with high intensity protocols. So if you're like, why aren't we talking about repeaters? Like, That's why, because you can just get so much out of these like max added weight protocols or these high intensity protocols that it's kind of like repeaters are so high volume that I just don't mess with them a lot personally in my own coaching. So that's why I'm focusing on this, obviously, because I want to give you the practical stuff that people are using and getting results from. But to answer your question, so the reason I would maybe tell an athlete to start dropping down to a smaller edge, one is if the weight is just the weight you're having to add is becoming annoying. (laughs) Like if it's hurting your back and you're like, I can add so much weight to this 20 or 25 millimeter edge. Like I would rather hang with less weight and make it less irritating and just drop down to a smaller edge. That's one circumstance where I'd be like, yeah, let's just use like use something that's five millimeters smaller and then we don't have to add as much weight. So that's one circumstance. Another circumstance is if you know that you haven't hung on small edges a lot and it's something that you could switch up. Like if you've been hangboarding for like a while and you never messed with using like a minimum edge depth type protocol like this, it could be a good chance to just be like, you know what? I've never explored this. Let's switch it up. And then lastly, if what you're climbing on outside or if you have projects or if you're just noticing that like smaller edges of the 15 millimeter, 10 millimeter, heck even eight, if you're wiling out, is what you need for whatever it is you're doing outside or just whatever goals you have, then I would say maybe working in some minimum edge depth work is going to be helpful because essentially all of these things are going to challenge and develop your finger strength. But if you feel like you need more specificity or more nuance in what you're doing based on what you have done before with your hangboarding, then it might be time to switch to a smaller edge. But in any case, In general, as long as you have some kind of game plan for progressing your hangboarding, whether that's making it more intense and adding more weight or dropping the edge size, you're doing well. Instead of just doing the exact same weight on the exact same edge for 10 months and being like, why am I not getting stronger? If you actually progress things as you go, it's going to be good. But just knowing those couple of things 
is sort of how I would make those decisions about should I drop to a smaller edge or not. So yeah, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Caitlin, do you have anything to add to that? Because I feel like this is like, there were about a thousand people that asked this in the comments of the Instagram reel that we used for a lot of the content for this episode. So yeah, I feel like there's, well, there's a lot of programming out there, right? So it's, it's hard, I think, when you have to sift through all of the variations out there yeah people are probably like wait um so which one's better right (laughs) what you're saying is like nothing's necessarily better but there are some things that you could do to simplify that don't really involve like some I don't know proprietary hangboarding regimen (laughs) precisely (laughs) excellent so yeah totally so yeah i think that's that's the crux of this is that we want there to be a best thing and we want there to be an exact right answer but if there rarely is there rarely is and if you think about the whole course of your climbing career you don't like just think about it like logically one thing doing the exact same thing for the rest of the amount of time that you're gonna be rock climbing is not a real solution. You're gonna want and need different tools in your toolbox for different goals, different stages of your climbing. Like you want there to be options to switch things up because our body adapts and eventually we can't get adaptations out of the same stimuli. So you need to have a game plan for progression and you need to have a game plan for switching up your protocols and approach, you know, via do we do max hangs or do we do minimum edge depth? Whatever. So with that, let's talk about the final and I would say most, quote, complicated version of a hanging protocol. And like I said, these are not exhaustive, but I did want to give you all three sort of examples and approaches that you can take with your hangboarding over a 12-week period. Okay, here is another one. So with this one, let's say for the first eight weeks, you sort of follow that higher intensity max hanging progression so you make it up to week eight of doing your two times a week adding weight max hang progression and now you're kind of at the okay i've been hanging doing sets of seven seconds at a higher rpe with more weight added right okay now for the last four weeks we're going to take you through a velocity pull and max hang complex caitlin have i had you do velocity pulls have you done these before I don't think I have. I'm looking at them now and I'm like, okay, we're hitting uncharted territory where I'm like, I officially don't know what this is. So <laughs> yes. Back okay. To there take you it all go. in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I may do this yet. This is, yeah, like I said, this velocity pull max hang complex is usually some special sauce that I don't always whip out, but for special occasions and of recent time it's only been special occasions for boulders though this can be very important for sport climbers and i've personally done these in my own training cycles as well so do we all remember earlier in the episode when i talked about the force velocity curve and transitioning max strength to power just you know take a moment be like okay i remember how power rewind i remember how power is when you want to apply your max force as quickly as possible right so that's what we're doing with velocity pulls so When it comes to training grip power, and you can train it on a campus board, there's a lot of different tools, but this is hangboarding part two. So we're talking about hangboarding. And essentially what you're going to do, welcome, (laughs) welcome, welcome, wake up. I don't know. (laughs) We're such assholes. Why do people listen to this? 
<laughs> keep oh, coming God. back for more okay i just just want the abuse okay all right so velocity pulls oh my gosh and it's called 50 shades of hangboarding we're too much Ooh. oh my god okay velocity pulls i'm gonna put a video of these in the show notes so that you can see them but basically with a velocity pull your goal is to reach that max force application as quickly as possible and you're kind of gonna and when i talk about them you're gonna be like these sound like repeaters and you'd be kind of right but it's a little different. So essentially what you're going to do, you're going to, and I'm going to talk about them in terms of five seconds on, five seconds off. So you're going to snap onto the hangboard. Usually I like to do these more on the small edge side of things. So I'll kind of snap onto the smallest edge possible that I can and kind of get onto it, pull down as hard as I possibly can and kind of like squeeze my whole body. Like you're trying to just exert max tension. Like think about when you're latching a really difficult hold and you're giving it all you got and you like snap onto the hold and like bite down. That's the energy you're bringing to this hangboard right now. So you're going to snap onto it, hold for five seconds, come off for five seconds, snap onto it, hold for five seconds, off for five seconds, one more time, snap onto it, hold for five seconds, off for five seconds. I mean, you can do these three on, three off, three on, four off, kind of doesn't matter. They're going to be short and snappy is kind of the thing. So that's one set of velocity pulls. And then you might do like three or four sets of these. And like I said, they're going to sound like repeaters, but you want them to still be short and intense. So theoretically, you could do them with like weight added to your harness. But again, they're going to feel like short, poppy, and it's kind of in the way that you grip and bite down on the hangboard, if you will. And I think watching a video of it happen will make more sense because it didn't really click to me until I watched, if you will. But yeah, so in a complex session, so when I talk about having your hangboarding sessions be, so at this point, you might be close to climbing outside a lot. You might not be in as much of a training mode, but for these four weeks, as you do your kind of like final prep, maybe for an outdoor objective where you want to be really snappy and powerful, you might do a complex. So you might say, okay, I'm going to do three sets of these velocity pulls and one set being multiple reps of on off. So one set would be 15 total seconds of time hanging, right? So we're not just doing five seconds on five seconds off is one. I think you get it. You get it. Caitlin, does that make sense? Okay, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> you get it. You get it. All right. If you don't get it, put it, put, send us an email. <laughs> no, you'll get it. It's fine. All right. You'll get it. You'll get it when you watch the video. So you might do your set of velocity pulls. And then after that, you might round that out with like two or three heavier hangs in that like it can be a 10 second hang. It can be a seven second hang. Doesn't really matter, but you can do the velocity pulls and then follow that up, you know, take some rest and then follow that up with two or three heavy hangs. So you're training that power and you're training that maximal strength real quick in a hangboard session. And that would be another way to do it where you could train velocity and keep building that max strength in the last like four week block of a 12 week finger training situation. So that's another fun one to play with. I've definitely done that before, especially in my own training. I think I did it before Wild Iris last year when I was prepping for some snappy, powerful, crimpy shit. So that's helpful for that. Yeah. (laughs) They're kind of fun too. I like velocity pulls. Like they're, they're pretty fun time. I'm into it. Um, Yeah. um, yeah. I best be seeing this in my (laughs) bouldering circuit because that should be my present for actually sport climbing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, you'll love it. Plus they're a lot faster. And usually when you don't have to add weight, it's kind of nice. So 10 out of 10. Love it. Well, 
Lauren, do you have anything else you want to add to this bit? Because I got a lot of Q&A listener questions here that I think we should go through. No, I think that's all I can do to talk about things that I think are better written down anyway. So cool. All right. Let's get let's get to the listener Q&As. Thank yeah, you all so much for asking it. a ton of questions. Let's rip on through. Yeah, these questions are great. So what I'm going to do is read the names of the people who asked. So if you hear yourself, it's like, yay, I Thank you. Cool. Um, It's me. And then I'm going to go through their questions. Sound good? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So Becky asks, when to increase time, weight, hold size, or all of the above when hangboarding? And they give an example here. For example, if 10 seconds with 35 pounds is easy, is it better to add more weight, move to a smaller hold, or hang longer? Okay, so I think I kind of answered this earlier, but I think it's a good time to talk through an example. So I'm going to assume that your goal is to develop to develop maximal finger strength because is it better is not always the best question because is it better for what is kind of what we're after here. So, all right, actually, let me tell you what would happen if you did any of these things. So if 35 pounds is easy, is it better to add more weight? If you want to increase your maximal finger strength, which is a nice thing to do, I would add more weight. That is what I would do. Especially if you haven't played with this very much, I would add more weight. That would be the best thing to do if your goal was to increase your maximal pulling power in on a 10-second hang. If, now, moving to a smaller hold, if your goal is you want to develop your crimp strength on smaller edges and you want to get better at that, then move to a smaller hold and still add weight on that smaller hold and probably the weight's going to go down ostensibly, right? So, lastly, or hang longer. It would be better to hang longer if your goal was to develop your work capacity for hanging or if you were trying to do some like strength endurance work on the hangboard. I imagine that's probably not what your goal is if you're using the hangboard. Maybe it is. It's not necessarily a bad thing to kind of do that. This also has some like, you know, a lot of rehab professionals will do longer hangs for rehab for a variety of reasons that I'm not going to get into here because I am not a rehab professional. But I would imagine your goal is more maximal finger strength, in which case I would probably say add more weight. And then if you're like, I've been out of more weight all the time, I want to switch it up. This 35 is feeling really heavy. Move to a smaller hold. Either one's going to work, but I think that answers your question, Becky. And hopefully you'll delight in some of the 12-week protocols that I discussed <laughs> earlier in the episode as well. So Yeah, it's almost as if it was written for Becky. So but yeah, that's <laughs> Becky was not the only one that asked it, but she asked it well. Nice. And I appreciated it. I liked the example. That made it easier to yeah, answer. This so. is a great question. So yes. let's let's get on into the next one. Eli asks, how important is quote proper form and what does that mean exactly oh Eli I love this question and I love the (laughs) quotes around proper form because I do think this is great so okay when it comes to the idea that you need to have perfect form in order to avoid injury perfect form is one kind of like a unicorn like it doesn't necessarily exist there's better form that's going to make whatever you're doing more efficient and perhaps make the exercise easier and make it so that you can add more weight and do it you know better from an efficiency standpoint but a lot of times this idea that you have to have really good form 
doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get more injured. So when it comes to hangboarding, and I'm going to shout out Natasha Barnes right now because her example of this kind of blew my mind and I was like, oh, that makes sense. So if you watch videos of monkeys swinging around from tree branches, you will notice that their shoulders are like all up by their ears. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And monkeys are fine. And we evolved for monkeys. They're chilling. They're not like looking at each other like, hey, Dave, I think if you swing from that branch like that, you're going to have like a corroded shoulder by the time um, you're Your shoulder's hurting. in the wrong position. Your shoulder's in the wrong, and... like monkeys aren't Yeah, doing... Lauren and I are both <laughs> pushing our invisible glasses up right now, so in case yeah. you're wondering. <laughs> so with that said, when it comes to hangboarding, if it doesn't hurt you, like if you aren't feeling pain anywhere in your shoulders or your fingers or your elbows while you're doing it that's good because good job so if it feels comfortable you're doing it well and then the only cue i really give people is the idea of like keeping their chest up but i don't think this idea that you have to like fully lock your shoulders down and pull them back or do anything like that is totally necessary like usually for me when i'm trying to like check my form or just make sure i'm doing things right i think chest up and then everything else kind of works itself out as long as it isn't actively hurting me, if that makes sense. So I don't think you have to have your elbows slightly bent. Like, I don't think any of this is really what needs to happen. So that's my answer to that. And also Dr. Natasha Barnes, shout out her if you want to, not not telling you to go fight with her, but I learned this from you know, a physical therapist <laughs> with climbing injuries. So I will not be fighting anyone on the internet about fear mongering, about having to have perfect form to avoid getting injured because I just won't do it and it's not necessary. So love it. All right. Next one. I apologize to me. This on my end looks like ale could be Ali, Ale. <laughs> I feel Never. like it's all A from what I remember, but who's to say? Okay. Could be A. Well, in any case, <laughs> they asked a great question. When I'm in a power endurance or endurance training cycle, should I hangboard? Should I continue doing max hangs or should I align the exercises with the current cycle goal? Ooh, okay. Yes. I love this and I think people get confused by this. So... Yes. One, you can definitely still hangboard when you're in a power endurance or endurance training cycle. And two, should I continue doing max hangs or should I align the exercises with the current cycle? Okay. So no, I would say you do not have to match whatever you're doing on the hangboard with whatever the general theme of your training cycle is. I probably, we probably need to do a whole podcast episode about forms of periodization, but Mm -hmm. basically when it comes to climbing training, you don't have to be the, so traditional periodization is like, you're going to do an endurance block and then you're going to do a max strength block. And then you're going to do a, you know, and then you're going to do a power block. So that is sort of how weightlifters have done things, but we don't have to do that as climbers. We can be simultaneously training endurance, strength, and power. So you can be building up your climbing endurance and power endurance with like your climbing specific work. And then on the hangboard, still building up your maximal strength. And I would say, don't, don't switch it up. Don't try to have your hangboarding match whatever it is you're doing with your climbing because it's totally okay to be trying to develop multiple adaptations and systems within the same like four to 12 week training cycle because that is how our sport works because we need access to strength, power, and endurance all the time. So it makes sense to be training those simultaneously. But yeah, we probably need to do a periodization episode because I think that can get really confusing. But 
Very good question. <laughs> yeah, Call that's it. a great question. <laughs> Slash psych. These are all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> these are awesome. Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. Tara asks, is there a limit to how much weight you can add without increasing your risk of pulley injury? And at what point would it be better to just move to a smaller edge? Ooh, okay. This is great. Everyone's like, when can I move to a smaller edge? (laughs) So kind of like what we talked about in our last episode with RPE, essentially you are going to, you know, you're you're going to want to avoid going to failure. And then if you train, basically like not to be like, just train with RP and everything's going to be fine. But seriously, as long as you're honoring like what your rate of perceived exertion is, and you're kind of using that auto-regulation technique with the amount of weight that you're adding, you're going to be a good in a good place in terms of how much weight you can add. Yeah. Because as long as you're progressively overloading your fingers and you're using RPE techniques, you're going to be okay. And you're not going to like shoot it to the moon by any means. Yeah. So I would say like, don't worry about that too much. I don't think there's like an absolute weight limit. And also I, you know, like Alex Magos exists. So it seems like the limit does not exist when it comes to how much weight you can add to your fingers, as long as you do it progressively over time in a structured, appropriately dosed sort of way. But kind of like I said before, at what point would it be better to just move to a smaller edge? If the like weight you're adding hurts your back or just feels really inconvenient, you can always drop to a smaller edge and add less weight. I can't think of too many situations where it's going to be super detrimental to not just keep like loading up the 20 millimeter edge, like drop it down to the 15 and use less weight and it's fine. You know, as long as that feels comfortable, like that's that's totally okay. So cool. Thanks, Love Tara. it. Good question. Yeah, great questions. These are amazing. I uh, know. People blew it up. It's great. And yeah. so much better. It was so nice to put them in a reel, too. I think I'm going to do that more often. Because when you put the question box, they, like, go away and it's all this stuff. But if you put them yeah. in the comments of a reel, I can Keep just it look there. it up. And Keep I can it real copy real. it and put it in a Google Doc, which is what I did this time. And it's great. Excellent. So, yes. Well, not to derail us too much. <laughs> the next person is R.C. Smitty. And all I can think is Smitty Werberman Jensen. <laughs> Anyhow. Same, but same. <laughs> <laughs> well, they asked, what are warning signs that you should stop hangboarding slash do it less frequently? Should you stop at the first sign of pain slash discomfort? Damn, this is another good one. That's a really good question. So it kind of depends. I'm not sure exactly like what you're what you're talking, RC Smitty, in terms of pain. If you're actively in the middle of a session and you feel an acute pain that is bothersome, at that point, I would probably take just take the weight down. Maybe it was like a one second thing and then you're like, wait, I'm fine. That was weird. Pain's very strange, just to put it bluntly so but that being said if the morning after or the day after your hanging session you don't feel good I would maybe just take down the volume and take down the intensity a little bit I don't think you necessarily need to stop hanging but I do think reducing a little bit of whatever it was you were doing so maybe try you know if you if you feel pain during the session or you feel pain the day after or in the hours after try taking it down by 25 to 50 percent and sticking with that for a couple of weeks and then try to ramp back up again I don't necessarily think it means you need to stop but you might just need to reduce it and then if you find that your reduction in volume makes the pain go away or lessens it significantly then 
you figured it out. Also, we talk a lot about pain and about this kind of thing in episode eight with our favorite PTs, Drake and Kimmy. So I would say make sure to go listen to that if you want to dig a little bit deeper into that discussion, especially with medical professionals that are more qualified to talk about pain and injury (laughs) management than I am. Not that I can't speak about it because I deal with it all the time with my athletes, but I'm not a doctor. I'll say it forever. (laughs) That's not my job. So, But really good question, RC. You are definitely not alone in wondering about that. Cool. Okay. So I could answer this next one. Oh, Um, I think you should. I think you should. Carter asks, what is your personal favorite hangboard? I'm actually curious to hear yours, Lauren. Oh, tension grindstone. Same. Yep. Grindstone number two. Oh, yeah. Oh, sh- I don't even know which one mine is, but I like it. I Probably love the 10 too. millimeter edge on it. It's like so nice. Yeah, I'm it's into it. cozy for 10 mil. Yeah, cozy that. for 10 mil. It's got like, it feels like you're just gripping the edge of a box in like a fun way. <laughs> However fun yeah. you can make it. <laughs> yeah, I makes like it. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> Except that I sometimes hate it but yeah no big fan of the tension grindstone it's a great hangboard i like wood hangboards i think they fuck with my skin less so big fan yeah. of wooden hangboards they're better yeah. cool okay well Shout now that tension. we have that consensus yeah great tension sponsors <laughs> are, you so are you listening are you listening we put okay. commercial on make it very nice <laughs> Woo. okay <laughs> <laughs> okay beck asks is it worth starting a hangboarding program if you can't yet do a pull-up even though you've been training pull-ups for a year i.e resistant band pull-ups plus negatives that's a really good question beck okay i would say yeah it is yeah. kind of yeah do it i would refer back to in episode one we kind of talked about where how long if you've been climbing for a long time so make sure to kind of refer back to the flow chart that i talked about but in a nutshell if you've already been climbing for six months and you're serious about getting better and you want to just get into a hanging protocol i would say try out that go 30 protocol that i mentioned back in episode one you can also check the show notes on hangboarding or not episode one hangboarding part one check the show notes and i talk a little bit about the go 30 protocol but i don't see why you couldn't be you could you could train those simultaneously i have athletes training pulling strength and finger strength in their training blocks together all the time so i don't see why you know you're just going to be at a different starting place because you're still working on being able to do your first pull up which is badass by the way i did not do my own first pull up until i was like 19 years old or something and i will remember that day for the rest of my life it was <laughs> an exciting day so it's okay like- 23 so yeah exactly like some of the some of the stuff takes time so yeah keep working on those pull-ups and if you're you know if you kind of follow the flow chart that i talked about in part one and you're like okay i fit the mold of it's time to try the, out the go 30 protocol then i would say go for it and the thing is too because okay uh, this is where people kind of get a little too nitpicky so people will be like if you can't do x y and z like random benchmark of physical fitness blah 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 don't even worry about strength training or hangboard yet but the thing is like you could probably spend 10 minutes, you know, 10, 20 minutes a week working on pulling strength by doing some like sets of pull-ups and maybe like 10 minutes a week doing this go 30 protocol. And that's 20 minutes a week. And also that's the kind of stuff you could just do at your house if you have like a hangboard or a pull-up bar or whatever. So this idea that like, you should just go rock climbing. It's like, yeah, you know, the athlete that in question is probably gonna go rock climbing in addition to this too. But the thing is like, 
You can probably sprinkle these little activities on top to help build up your strength without investing too much time into it while you're still going rock climbing. Like you still need to be going rock climbing, obviously. But I always think that argument's like kind of funny where it's like, just climb, you're going to waste all your time. And I'm like, do you have 10 minutes? Because if you have 10 minutes, let's get your fingers a little bit stronger, you know, provided that we're already kind of exhausting some of the other things that would make your fingers stronger. Anyways, small rant, because that's like the, it's the bone... I'm just going to say it. That's the bone, like kind of dudes that don't even do this <laughs> as their job will try to pick with me. And I'm like, you don't even, you don't even know. I'm not even engaging with this anymore. <laughs> like, You so can't stupid. sit with us. You can't you sit know. with us. You're trying to make an argument that like kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And also I'm the coach. In this, so. <laughs> uh, sorry, I've had, sorry, that was a lot of internet fights past coming back to me. And I was like, mm, it's so dumb. So anyways, thank you. Thank you audience well, for letting me rant. Um, you are the expert woo, here. So woo, let's get into the okay. next question. Woo, okay. So... Victoria asks, how often should you retest your max hang to adjust weight after a training cycle, if you just feel like it's getting easier, etc.? Cool. Okay. I would say if you're like doing a dedicated hangboard program, like you don't want to be retesting your max like all the time just because you're going to kind of drive yourself nuts. So two things with this. One, I would say you could probably retest after like six ish weeks if you've been doing it consistently to see if you like want to move your weight up or just kind of do like, you know, a hashtag vibe check to see if you've made a lot of progress and you can get psyched. But I would say every six to 12 weeks is probably good. And maybe you'd want to do it like if you're about, you know, let's say if we're talking about the switch from like the max hangs to the like going with a minimum edge hang, maybe you test at like week six or eight of doing a lot of like max added weight hangs. And then you're like, oh, I didn't actually make that much progress. And I still feel like, you know, from recording my numbers, I can see the trend is heading upward. So maybe like stick with it for another two or three weeks and then retest. Right. So that's kind of one thing, but also you can be gradually, like if you're following a rate of perceived exertion type progression, you can be gradually ramping up weight according to how the RPE feels throughout the cycle without having to necessarily retest everything all the time. So I would say that if you're following rate of perceived exertion, then you're going to naturally be gradually increasing based on how difficult certain things feel. So that is my answer to that, Victoria. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> okay, the next one I have opinions about. But <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I want to hear them. Uh, maybe not opinions so much as like, are you nuts? Um, judgments <laughs> is what I should say. <laughs> Sorry, Seth. Um, don't know you. <laughs> I'm so interested. I might be, we might not agree on this, but we might be about to learn something. We'll see. Okay, go okay. on. So Seth asks, is hangboarding and moonboarding too much? Let's okay. hear the expert opinion, and then I will give you my um, complaining judgment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. So is hangboarding and moonboarding too much? Well, kind of like we talked about in the in injury prevention portion of hangboarding part one, you know, no. It's not, but it also depends on if what you're doing is appropriately dosed. So if you have never used a moonboard before and you're kind of getting into this more like dynamic style where you're doing harder moves on smaller holds and all these things and the moonboard's like a completely new tool to you, if you layer in a new hangboard protocol right on top of that, you might find that it is a lot on your fingers. 
That being said, I personally do sessions all the time where I hit the hangboard, do my max hangs, and then go hit the moonboard. But you know what? I've been using moonboard for a long time, and I've been using hangboard for a long time. So it's really going to depend on the athlete. And it's kind of like what I said before about pain management. If you find that you're having pain and that you're feeling crappy, and if you're trying to combine these things into a session and it's like not working, then scale back the volume of either thing and do that. The other thing with the moonboard is too, um, I know it's really fun. And sometimes people will beat themselves to death on the moonboard. So if you're already doing that, and then you layer hangboarding in on top of that, you might run into issues. But inherently, no, you can totally combine moonboarding and hangboarding into a training cycle. But the amount of, you know, preparation and familiarity your body has with these two training stimuli is going to dictate how much of either one you can do. And if that is effective for you that makes sense. So apologies, everyone, to give an it depends answer. It's not inherently unsafe, but it really depends on the athlete when it comes to can you hangboard and moonboard in the same session or even within the same training cycle. So Caitlin, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason that I, I struggle to combine the two is because I in my gym, our moon board is fixed at 45. So I truthfully to combine max hangs, max weighted hangs with moon boarding is a bit too much and super tweaky for me. So I okay. try to avoid that. But I definitely understand that, like how that could be really beneficial and, and positive. But for me, it's so far been a deadly combo. Okay. So. Yeah, no, that's that's super valid, and it's a good thing you know about that. Let me ask you this, though, because you have a tension board in your house. Have you combined the tension board and hangboarding in the same session? Because I think you have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually a really good example of maybe what you're doing on the moon board, or maybe just the way the holds are. Maybe there's some nuance between the tension board and the moon board, whatever it may be, the style. I don't know. The problems you're picking, who knows? There's so many variables. But it could be mm-hmm. that... You just haven't gotten used to that yet. And maybe the problems you're picking feel are making you feel some type of way. And that's potentially what's causing that. There's a lot, there's a lot yeah. to unpack there. But I think this is a very good example of maybe if you just like spend a little bit of time getting used to the moon board and your body got used to some of the demands of like the general ways mm-hmm. you move on the moon board might be different. Cause it's also possible that with the tension board, you're able to like move more statically than you can on the moon board. And I know dynamic yeah. movement is a a Caitlin thing that we are in progress of working on who me me? no what but yeah no that's no you're right yeah that's good bring up a very good thing to point out yeah well (laughs) I love you being like no no (laughs) yeah (laughs) well we have one more listener question so we can wrap up with that one uh this is either the same Victoria or another. It's uh, the same but- Victoria, also Victoria. I'm just going to shout out Victoria really fast. I wrote a blog post about Victoria who sent her first 512 after working oh, with me for yeah. 12 weeks. Yeah, so she has a really Sick. sweet blog post. I'll link to that in the show notes too. Victoria is a, a champ. She had a dope spring season in Red Rocks and I was so psyched to write about her and spray about her. She's a total Aww. badass and I love working with her and she's such a hard worker. Okay, enough clients. Okay, spray, well, but let's... yes, you all should go read about Victoria because also the blog post is cool and I have like a sweet side-by-side video of her climbing like an 11D before she started working with me and then like right after she worked with me and it just looks different and it's cool to... Okay, anyways, back to Victoria's question. Too much stuff. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you can see her amazingness in the blog post, but yes. <laughs> Victoria asks, is there anything you definitely should not do when it comes to hangboarding? Um, mm, 
don't, okay, this is going to be a vaguely sarcastic answer, but also it will contain nuggets of truth. I'm annoying. Okay. So, so you should not, do not follow a hangboard program for like two weeks, complain that it isn't working yet and quit. Hangboarding mm. is building strength. If you listen to our fundamentals, I think the basics episode, we talk about how strength takes a long time to build. So it's something that you need to stick with over a long period of time. So do not expect instantaneous mega results in like a month or something, because I just don't think that's realistic and you're just going to get pissed off and quit. Do not stick to programs that you know do not end up on a program that is overloaded and overdosed for where you are at in your climbing and the best way you're gonna know if you're doing something like that is pain and just your general fatigue levels um and also you know there are a lot of programs out there and most any good program whether it's mine or some other program is gonna say hey this is for you if, this is for your skill level if. So read those things. They're important. Coaches can't write like a blanket program that's going to work for everyone. So make sure you pay attention to if the program that you're trying to do is actually written for you. Because the biggest thing with hangboarding is make sure that it is dosed appropriately for your training volume and your skill level and where you're at right now. And you're not doing something that's way too much for what you need. Minimum effective dose. Think think that those would be my two two what not to do's um oh the last what not to do don't get so obsessed with your hangboard numbers that you forget to go rock climbing and you think that just because your hangboard numbers went up that you deserve to send everything also not how it works finger strength is a important but only a part of the getting better at rock climbing equation the good news is like we've learned we don't have to spend that much time doing it but you know it's not everything. So don't go down a rabbit hole thinking that your finger strength is like the grand determinant of how you're going to do this season because because it is not. That is not how things work. So those are my do nots with hangboarding. <laughs> Donuts. <laughs> we should stop. <laughs> don't be a crepe, Lauren. Let's stop there. Oh my god. Okay, enough of that. Uh, Well, yeah, those were some really awesome questions. As we continue with the podcast, we'll continue asking your listener questions, but you Mm -hmm. can always write us and send us in an email about yes. actually uh, wait we have a google form now shout out my assistant monica she made us ah, a nice right. google form. form okay i'm gonna put the form in the show notes from now on so yes. if you're like i have a question put it in the form we have a form i keep forgetting that we have a form okay we're gonna use the form and then it will be organized in a place that isn't the dystopian nightmare hellscape <laughs> that can be instagram sometimes oh yeah it's just stuff everywhere so cool all right well i would say Caitlin, we should probably wrap it up there. This might be our longest episode so far, but hopefully you feel heftily informed now. Heftily hangboarding. All right. (laughs) Go dangle on your fingers, be safe, and keep it average. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Lauren here. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you now feel a little more empowered in your quest for stronger fingers. With that, allow me to close us out with some exciting announcements and our production credits. Sick of all the guesswork that goes into climbing training? Ready to stop thinking about training and actually do something? Then check out the Good Spray self-guided plan sale. I've got plans for sport climbing, bouldering, and finger strength on sale right now in the Good Spray store. Until tomorrow, you can snag a self-guided training plan for 25% off. Go to goodsprayclimbing.com forward slash store to grab your plan today. Want to understand how your training, nutrition, and lifestyle play a key role in impacting your hormonal health? Caitlin is collaborating with Emily Smith, the outdoor nutritionist, to bring you Bloom, an intimate eight-week coaching experience to get you from confused to empowered in your hormonal health. This program is for active women and genderqueer individuals and includes eight weeks of group calls and educational content as you navigate a web of factors impacting hormonal health. The experience starts August 15th, but right now you can get $100 off the total investment. Tap the link in our show notes to learn more. And don't forget, you can book a free 15-minute clarity call with Caitlin by tapping the link in the show notes. If you've wanted to make changes to your nutrition habits but don't know where to start, it's time to chat with Caitlin. The Average Climber Podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Good Spray Coaching and Caitlin on her Instagram at Dirtbag Nutritionist. This show is produced by Josh Hayfleet with our favorite furry production assistant, Stubby the Corgi. The music for this episode was created by Devin Dabney of the American Climbing Project. Make sure to check out his podcast if you haven't already. You'll laugh, you'll learn, and you will introspect. The Average Climber podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com or at PlugToneAudio on Instagram to learn more about the other great shows on the network. See you next time, and until then, 